If you've been in worship with us through the month of November, you will recognize that we have been going through this theme of generosity, exploring the different aspects of what that word means in the life and context of faith. We began with this exploration of what it means to be a generous church, and then last week we turned and considered what it means to worship a generous God. This week, we conclude by turning our attention to ourselves and asking, what does it look like to live a generous life? So let us continue listening now for a word from God as we turn to the pastoral letters to 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, beginning with the 17th verse. The author of that letter writes, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but instead to put their hope in God, who richly provides for us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, the author writes, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and to be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life, take hold of the life that is truly life. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, send your spirit now that it would dwell richly within us. Indeed, O God, we pray that through its work, you would satisfy the deepest hungering of our souls. That through its work, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here together in your sight would be glorifying and pleasing to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Thursday night after dinner, Aaron and I were sitting by ourselves there at the table and the theme for today came up in the course of our conversation. What does it look like to live a generous life? And Aaron, ever the teacher, shouted to our oldest, our seven-year-old Sam, who was somewhere in the back of the house. She shouted, Sam, what does it mean to be generous? And there was quiet. And then Sam's voice came back down through the hallway. It means to play with your friends. Okay. We let let that sit for a moment, and then Aaron called out again, Sam, what else? Sam thought for a moment, and he shouted back down the hallway, it means to give money to church. (laughs) Preacher's kid. I think he also may have thought in the back of his mind, like, this will shut him up. 
But one more time, Aaron called out to Sam, Sam, what does it mean to be generous? And he said, it means to share. Be rich in good deeds, the author of 1 Timothy writes to the church. Be generous. Be willing to share. You see, there's a big problem with the church in Ephesus. That is the community of faith that 1 Timothy is primarily being addressed to. And their big problem is that they're having trouble sharing. Paul, you see, he established the church in Ephesus, and then he left to go on and establish other churches elsewhere. But if you'll recall from two weeks ago when we preached from 2 Corinthians, there was a problem that sometimes arose when Paul left a place that he had established a church. There would be these other people who came in behind him, false teachers is often who they're referred to as, people who did not adhere to Paul's theology and were not part of his ministry. As soon as Paul vacated the premises, these false teachers would fall in behind him and they began to wreak havoc with the church in Ephesus. Specifically, they began to sow division there over issues such as food and marriage. But what seemed to disturb Paul the most was that these false teachers were using their position and their adherence to the false teachers were using their positions to accumulate wealth. They were taking, taking, taking and giving back hardly anything. They took much and they shared little. So there are two bodies of water in modern day Israel. Let's do a little participatory sermon preaching here. What are the two bodies of water in modern day Israel? Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. That's right. So I always thought that the Dead Sea was primarily referred to as the Dead Sea because it's, it's the salt sea, right? So life has an awfully hard time taking root there. There's very little vegetation, certainly no fish or aquatic life. But what's interesting is nowadays the Dead Sea is sort of literally living out its name. So I have traveled the road on the western side of the Dead Sea two times in the last decade, once in 2012 and then again in 2019. And the difference between those two trips there along its shore was startling. So back in 2012, there are hotels that are lined up. It's sort of a resort area of sorts for Israelis on their side and Jordanians on their side. In 2012, most of the hotels there were maybe 75, 80 yards from the water's edge. But in 2019, many of those same hotels were easily 150, 175, a 200-yard walk to get to the water. Of those two bodies of water, the Dead Sea is the only one that is literally dying. Now, there's a lot of factors that go into it, some of its agriculture, some of its climate change, of course, but as we were driving along this time, Rabbi Rachel Bregman, our friend at Temple Beth Tefillah, this was a trip in 2019 that our congregation took with Christ Church and the Temple in Brunswick. 
Rachel took the microphone and she said, you know, there's a rabbinic teaching that's been around for a long time to explain why the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea. She said in Jewish teaching, oftentimes people think of the Dead Sea as being dead because all it does is take and it never gives. Right, so both the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea are fed by the same river, the Jordan River. When you're up in the north, the Sea of Galilee is filled from the headwaters of the Jordan, of the Jordan River rather, on its north shore, and then it releases water on its southern shore back into the Jordan River. But the Dead Sea, it only takes in water from the Jordan River at its north. And at no other place does it release water. Right? It's this illustration for how to be alive, to be something other than dead, you have to give. You can't just take. Right? To receive but not to give simply is not life. It points out the reality that the true danger in these verses from 1 Timothy, the true danger of these false teachers is that they are denying life to the church there in Ephesus by betraying Jesus' teachings of simple living, of contentment, of generosity. To be alive, you can't just take. You have to also give. On Thursday night, I mentioned this to Aaron as we were talking about generosity. I found myself continually thinking about her grandparents. Aaron and her brother Daniel were raised mainly by their grandparents in Lexington, Virginia. She was third grade, Daniel was first grade when they moved in with their uh, Nana and Papa, Peggy and John. And I kept thinking about them because they, for me, have always stood as these quiet examples of what a truly generous life looks like. Now, they were not wealthy people. They lived in a very modest home there off Welsh Park Lane in Lexington. John was a Korean War veteran. Peggy worked two jobs for much of her life. She worked well into her 70s. But they were generous. They shared freely of their time. Aaron was remembering in that conversation how her papa would drive her in most days half the neighborhood to school every single day and somehow always managed to be the first car in the parking lot. He'd shuttle kids from all across Lexington to soccer practices and dance practices there was one performance that she and her friends did where he had driven so many of them so many different times to practices getting ready for the recital that at the final curtain call of that recital, they presented as a cast a gift to her grandfather as a thank you for all of the shuttle service he had provided, getting them ready for that day. They were generous with their time and they were generous too with their money the money that they had to give. Aaron and I have known each other for 18 years or something like that. I'm going to get the math wrong. I'm going to stop trying. Um, <laughs> but there were so many times visiting her house when, when I, I can see the ritual on Sunday mornings in my mind as Peggy would sit down at the 
breakfast table and she'd write her check and she'd fold it up and she'd put it in the offering envelope to take to church religiously every Sunday. They gave what they could. And as Aaron and Daniel were growing up, she often gave them the money that they were expected to put in the offering plate as well. And as adults, we'd get the stink eye from the choir loft if she didn't see us dropping our offering in the offering plate as it went by. And they shared love. In the ways they knew how to, they shared love. What flowed into them also flowed out. Their generous life, it, it formed the lives of two of the most generous people that I know. They're an illustration for me of how a generous life is one that operates with a mindset of abundance, of plenty, rather than a mindset of scarcity. Right? Someone who is generous can always share what they have, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little, because they trust that there will always be enough. Right? Remember the story from last Sunday, John's Gospel, the feeding of the 5,000? Lord, there's a lot of people and only five loaves and two fish. No, there's enough. Someone who is generous operates and lives with this posture of trust that no matter what, God will provide. And when we live with that posture, we find that we cultivate a life not just for ourselves, life not just for ourselves, but also in those who are around us. That must be why Paul is very careful with his word choice in this letter. He doesn't suggest or imply, he commands. He commands, two times that word is used, commands the church in Ephesus to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to share what they have. Because Paul understands, I think, that to receive but not to give, that's not life. No, in order to experience the life that is truly life, the fullness of life that God offers us, all of us in Jesus Christ, we have to be generous. We have to share what's been given to us. You know, I remember visiting once with uh, the principal of a, a Title IX school. This is a school that serves primarily a population of students who come from economically disadvantaged backgrounds. It was an incredibly inspiring conversation because here was a young man who had been teaching for eight years and was now the principal, was doing really neat, dynamic things in this school that had limited resources to operate with. But in the course of our conversation, I remember him sharing about his first year in that school, his first year as a teacher, and all those who are teachers here, I know you're, you know already that your first year can be absolutely brutal. And it was brutal for this guy in his first year out of school there in this school as a teacher in the lower grades. It was exhausting. He talked about how I worked and I worked and I worked and I was so tired. And about the time I got to Thanksgiving break, I was ready to quit. I was done. 
said, but I called up my dad before I made the decision official. My dad, he said, is a minister, an African-American minister in that tradition. And he said, I asked my dad on the call, I said, Dad, how much am I expected to give? Am I expected to give like Christ? Am I supposed to give in the same way that Christ gave? And he said, my dad thought for a moment, and then he said, yes. Yes. As a disciple of Christ, we are called to give in the same way that God gave to us. We're called to, to share, to share it all. That's what my seven-year-old figured out in his mind down the hallway last Thursday night. That's what this teacher turned principal learned by sticking with it is the life that he now experiences in his vocation and shares with those students who walk through his door every single day. It's what he learned and what he knows and what he lives by. Friends, may we, may we know it too. And may we live by it too. And may we be the ones who find life by letting the life we meet in Jesus Christ fill into us that it might flow out and be life for others. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen.